0: You're listening to Movers and Shakers, the SaleMove podcast on customer experience. SaleMove, delivering the in person customer experience online. To learn more, visit salemove.com.
1: I'm Jeffrey Mack, Director of Marketing at SaleMove, and welcome to Movers and Shakers, the podcast that explores the world of customer experience through conversations with the influential business leaders tasked with delighting their customers at each and every opportunity. Today, our CEO, Dan McKelly, we'll be speaking to Carl Haller, a leader at IBM's Retail and Consumer Products Center of Competence. In this episode, we'll talk about the importance of leveraging data to inform the customer experience and the value it can have in arming your frontline employees. We'll also talk about measuring the customer experience and the tangible impact that delivering a positive one can have on the
0: bottom line. Well, welcome to another episode of Movers and Shakers, the customer experience podcast. Our mission is to find leaders in the world of CX and learn from specific projects that they have carried out in the past or are currently working on. Today, our guest is Carl Haller. Carl has over two decades of experience working with retailers and has focused a large part of his career, awesome career on customer experience. He's currently working at IBM's Retail and Consumer Product Center for Competence where he serves as an industry expert developing transformational solutions and programs for leading retailers and consumer goods companies around the globe. Now, prior to IBM, Carl held several senior leadership roles around strategy and customer engagement at companies such as The Limited, Brooks Brothers and Tommy Hilfiger. I personally enjoy my conversations with Carl a great deal because he has a very unique insight into how to create a flow of ideas between the in-person and digital CX. So, welcome, Carl. Thanks, Dan. It's uh, it's actually great to be here. It's great to have you. So, I just wanted to start out. I think you know, just to kind of lay the foundation here. Tell us, how do you define a customer experience?
1: Um. So, I really think. The customer experience is every interaction a customer has with a brand. Um, that could be visiting a store, it could be seeing an ad, it could be engaging online or on social. Um, frankly, the most common customer experience is really using a brand, you know, or using a product. So, you know, once you actually buy something and take it home and keep using it. That probably ends up being the, the most lasting experience, you know whether it's clothing or automotive or you know electronics, um, most of our experiences are based on once we already have it at home.
0: Right, so not necessarily just a, a sort of a conversation or an interaction, but actually the use of.
1: Yeah, I think that probably forms our most lasting impressions of a given brand or a given product. Um, and and it's frankly one that, as as a retailer or as a uh, as a you know a, a brand company, um, we we don't really have a lot of insight to. And a lot of our you know various models for customer experience or customer engagement, they seem to still take us down this path of you know getting from awareness to the purchase, and then somehow turning into an advocate. And we forget that there's a lot of stuff that's happening as as people are using the products that they buy from us or the services that they buy from us, and those are really forming a big piece of the experience.
0: Hmm. And and how can how can we tap into that a little bit more? What do you think are some of the tactics that uh, that companies can use to create a great CX and maybe tap into some of that, you know, the usage information or, or the experience for the customers with the actual product or service?
1: There are there are a lot of different ways. I mean, right now it's really about um, speaking to or engaging with your customers when they are actually using things. So, you know, there are a lot of ways to do that. You can do that through traditional consumer research. You can do that through uh, social interactions. Um, there are people doing uh, uh, online panels uh, where you can you know get some breadth and some depth about how people are actually using and engaging with things. Um, in the future, there will probably be a lot more Internet of Things or IoT out there. So there will be, you know, the, the devices that we have will report back. We're we're seeing that, you know, in our phones right now. Um, for those of us who have Nest, you know, there we're seeing that on that side. Um, but that's that's probably going to be a way that um, many devices will report back in the future. That there will be, there will be a, there will be an actual feedback loop from the product back to either the maker or the seller um, of how people are using those things.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great point. And you know what? What I, you know, we spoke about uh, in our previous conversations. We've talked a lot about data, and I think that when you get into talking about IoT and all of the different uh, informa, all, all the different information sources that we have for customer experience, it it can become somewhat overwhelming at points, right? So what do you think are, in terms of you getting, getting that information and making it actionable, what are the most important data points that we should be looking at? How is that going to evolve?
1: Um, that's, it's, it, it is a great question. Um, and that's something, frankly, that at IBM we're, we are working on. I, I just got back from, uh, uh, from a, an IBM conference called World of Watson. Um, and that was, the real focus was on using what we call cognitive computing um, or in a broader sense, uh, 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 augmented intelligence, which is how we define AI, to help people make sense of all of those things. Um, because th- there, are, there are things we can do and we can, you know, we can take a look at all the different sources of information about a given, pr- about a given person. And or a given interaction that they're having, and if we're seeing data streams on those, so you know that happens mostly in the online world right now, we can actually plan and manage interactions, um, you know, on the individual level because we're seeing those things happen in real time.
0: So being more but, predictive.
1: Yes, essentially being more predictive and and using, essentially using what we know as humans um, to help you know, a computer, a cognitive computer, learn, and then, but because a cognitive computer can learn at a much faster pace than all the different humans can, then, you know, it's kind of like allowing, having a virtual assistant that is as good as your best personal assistant on his or her best day. And that, that's really the idea, is to help elevate everyone up, taking all that data so everyone can elevate up um, uh, the experiences that, that they have.
0: Interesting. Yeah, no, I think that what's, it's definitely very interesting to see how we're our toolkit for analyzing the data is improving, uh, at an incredible rate. And it's just a matter of then pinpointing what data we want to feed into those systems to create the most accurate picture uh, of that particular customer and then tailor the experience to them. Right
1: and to and to ultimately you know uh, and and this is a tough thing for those of us who've been in the industry a while ultimately trusting the computer to make those predictions and to go ahead and execute those things you know normally right now if we're talking about marketing you know what'll happen is we'll have some of the some of our marketing analysts will you know take a look at a bunch of data and based on their knowledge they'll go ahead and create a you know create a program or create a rule set or um, you know, create the the um, the different attributes around a given promotion, and then they'll run that. And then the next time they see a similar situation, they'll run that again. But there's still all of the, you know all of those interactions, and you're kind of doing that on you know one at a time basis um, to be able to om- to be able to allow um, you know to be able to allow a computer to start to automate some of those itself, and trusting that we're going to get it right takes a big leap for a lot of us um but from you know what we're seeing they it not in the retail field but uh, I just saw a report um where it was a uh it was a, a cancer hospital and they were saying they took their best cancer um diagnosticians and they compared it to the results that they got out of Watson and on 99 out of 100 cases Watson identified the same thing that their their teams identified, so they felt pretty good about it. And then he said that additionally, in 30% of the cases, Watson found something that their teams did not find. So uncovered some, you know, some something different and something additional. You know, so it's not replacing; it's it's augmenting and adding on. Uh, and I think that's a real that's a real important feature when we really think about how how we get in and create um, create the experiences which customers want, which are really Really individualized and and personal, you know, personal to them, personal to their interests, and personal to what they want to accomplish on at, at that given time. And that's that's complex and it's changing all the time.
0: Yeah, that's actually really exciting. I think. I mean, the the, the possibilities there get can get your head uh, spinning with so many different ideas, and it, it's it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot uh, of of curation. That is that we're missing out on, I think, because there's so much data and it's so difficult to k- sort of cond- make sense of it and synthesize it. So, but I, so to shift gears here, I wanted to talk a little bit about you know um, the featured project for today, and you know we we discussed a CX initiative. From your time at Brooks Brothers, so i'd love to hear you know, especially as it relates to these topics of, of data and creating an an accurate, an accurate picture of the customer, you know I know there was a lot of um, aspects like that that were covered in this particular project. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: sure, I'd be happy to um, so uh, as you had mentioned earlier, um, I spent uh, about seven years uh, in, a, in a, a handful of different roles at Brooks Brothers. Um, for anyone who doesn't know Brooks Brothers um uh we are we considered ourselves the premier global lifestyle destination for ladies and gentlemen of every generation that was our uh, that was the the mission statement um and um you know essentially that boils down to being a a premier uh maker and seller of clothing and accessories for men, women and kids um and the company is also America's oldest brand and when I think about what the Brooks Brothers brand stands for, it's pretty synonymous with the american dream it's about it's about um you know individual personal achievement and for as long as uh for as long as we've known in the company, the company has been built on relationships and I think, frankly, most retailers, certainly most retailers that have been around for a while were built on relationships. Because when you think about it, when you start up a retail business, you start with one store in general. Um, And and the person that is in charge of that store is the head of the company. And so they've got to think holistically about the business. They've got to think like a CEO has to think now. They have to think about the, the physical store. They have to think about their customers. They have to think about the merchandise. They have to think about what service and services they're providing. Um, and what we realized at, at Brooks, um, and, and this has really happened throughout the industry, is that as we've gotten bigger and developed into multi-hundred store chains, uh, chain, um, we've lost a lot of that. And mm-hmm. the stores themselves have become very execution-oriented. And so mm-hmm. the project that we undertook at Brooks Brothers Uh, we called store manager as CEO and it was really the idea that each of our retail store managers would act like the CEO for their store and we wanted them to think more broadly um, and to leverage to leverage the the, the information that we would all see in the corporate office in the various you know in the various departments, we had you know the product design department and the merchandising and planning and allocation and marketing um, and uh, loyalty and CRM and all you know all these departments, we would see a lot of information, but a lot of that never got back out to the store. So a big piece of this uh, of this effort um, was to arm the store managers with the, with the types of information, so that they could actually make decisions at the local level rather than really just having everything pushed pushed down to them. Um, the area that, uh, that I really got involved in uh, very specifically um, was in sharing back a lot of the information we had about our customers off of our customer database back with the stores. Um, wow. Something that we found was that most store managers don't actually know how many customers they have and might not even get it within hmm. an order of magnitude. They uh, Because it's not information that they've
0: ever been exposed to. And so Carl, would that, would, would yeah. that be, so, sorry to interrupt you there, would that be one of the most important data points that you were making available to them? I, what, what were? I, I find this super interesting. What were some of the kind of most critical data points that you wanted to make available to the store managers?
1: so um, again and I'll speak more to the customer side so we would start to break things down into um, the the number of customers that they have and kind of what's the health of that customer base if you compare it over the last couple of years is the customer base growing or shrinking in terms of overall numbers are their average are their customers spending more or spending less Um, what products are their customers buying and what products are their customers not buying? And um, where are those customers coming from? Uh, what age, if we have that on the file? Uh, what gender, if we have that on the file? Um, are, they, are you a store that is serving you know, a local neighborhood, say a, a radius of 5 to 10 miles? Um, Are you a store that is drawing customers from around a, you know, say a 25 or 30 mile radius? Are you actually drawing customers from, you know, an area that we used to call driving tourists, you know, say 50 to 200 miles? Or are you serving customers uh, what we called flying tourists, like 200 miles plus? Do you have a lot of international customers? Hmm. Um, All of those things should really help a store manager understand what is the range what are what's the range of products that they should be offering in their store because we we now we've gotten to a point with most stores where we have more products than can fit in the store so we we have to make editing you know as you called it curation decisions about each store and typically in retail we make those at the corporate level and and usually those corporate teams allocation and replenishment make those decisions at a category level not in aggregate thinking about a given store Um, and so we wanted to augment what they were doing with what uh, with what the store managers then could know about their individual customers and um, you know could take and look at the data that they're seeing um, and really put a customer spin on everything so let me give you just a couple of examples because I think I've used way too many words. Um, at uh, At Brooks Brothers, um approximately 15 to 20% of uh, our sales were in women's product. Um but when we looked at the gender of our customers, we found that closer to 35 to 40% of the customers were women. Mhm. And only about I think it was maybe three-fourths of the women who had who had been in our store and made a purchase had actually purchased something in the women's department so we had a really, We one of our goals was to grow the women's business and we were trying to figure out do we need to go out and spend a lot of money on marketing to attract more women to the store and it turns out we really didn't we actually had plenty of women coming in the store we just needed to steer them toward the women's department rather than the, the, the woman who was coming in to pick up something for her husband or to pick up something for her kids from the shopping the other department. That really changes how you, can, how, how you would market to them. Um, and Carl ways you do that. Yeah.
0: Carl, was that, was that insight generated at the, at the sort of the corporate level? Or was that an insight that came from this store, uh, the, the store managers did, 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 were they presented with this data and then they developed that insight or was that something that you collaborated on? Uh, sort of tell, tell me, tell us a little bit more about that.
1: So we, you know, that was one, um, we would do things, at the corporate level and like that was a data set that we knew coming out of the corporate level so we kind of gave them hey this is a hint you might look for this Mm -hmm. but not every store was the same you know if the average was 35 percent women some stores were at 45 percent and some stores were at 20 percent so what the local store manager would then do is say okay I know I need to grow I know I my goal is to grow my women's business you know that was one of their goals one of the goals is to grow the women's business if I'm, if I'm, you know, well underpenetrated in terms of the number of women coming in, well, then I've got to think about going out and attracting women into my store. And if I know that at corporate that's not a big initiative, which means there's not going to be a lot of over-the-top marketing coming out, what do I actually need to do in the local area? So, you know, if I'm in Columbus, Ohio, what are the, what are the um, community organizations or the local events that I want to get involved in? Um, to actually bring new people into the store, do I want to ask for some, you know, shop with a friend events, or try to try to host a shop with a friend event, or um, or do some sort of hey, bring a friend and get 20 off type of an offer, mm-hmm. something that you can execute at the local level rather than you know relying on you know a big national ad campaign that says Brooks Brothers women come shop now.
0: That's great. And they were given that freedom to sort of go out and and come up with those initiatives and execute on them like that?
1: Yeah, we did. We gave them, what we did is we gave them uh, each store manager as they went through, um, in addition to supplying them with this information, we put them all through um, really, I would call it a two week intensive MBA in a box type of a program specifically geared toward the Brooks Brothers store managers. And we, We, um, we, it was was a mixture of, uh, I would say, lecture and a lot of small group, you know, case study type work. Um, We had internal Brooks Brothers instructors, and we had instructors from, um, you know, Columbia, uh, NYU, uh, FIT, Wharton, et cetera, come in and speak. Um, It was a mixture of what I would call right brain and left brain skills, so there were things about you know, engaging and interacting with someone on a one-on-one basis, as well as things like, you know, let's do merchandising, math. Um, and after that program, we had each of the store managers develop a business plan for their store and present oh, wow. that business plan back to, you know, a team of people in corporate. Um, there was almost always one, you know, a C-level executive, you know, a couple of uh, VPs or SVPs, and then maybe one or two people um, uh, at, at one or one or two levels down in the organization. Um, they also had a, a coach, you know, someone who was kind of coaching them through that process from the corporate side. Um, and we found that that a lot of the store managers uh, really took it to heart and really looked at their store uh, with a different eye. Um, and and we we found that it really delivered results as well when we. We kind of did a, uh, uh, I'd say it's an old-fashioned A-B test. We, we looked at, we looked about halfway through the program. Uh, we looked at um, the stores that had uh, gone through the program and the stores that had yet to go through the program. And we found that the, the same store sales or the comp, st- the comp sales of the stores that had, whose managers had gone through the program were trending I think I don't remember exactly I think it was 200 to 300 basis points higher um, in comp than the uh, than the stores
0: who had not been going outstanding that. yeah that's out, that's outstanding I mean th- then and w- from a sort of tactical standpoint you know was it w- what do you think was it that produced those results specifically do you think it was the fact that they had this autonomy you know when 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 folks have the autonomy, it, it 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 motivates them more to you know and especially if they've come up with the plan to execute on that plan uh was it a combination of that as well as the individual tactical things that they were doing sort of those initiatives that were more localized perhaps like do you think it do you think you can attribute it to something or was it a sort of an overall effect i
1: um i think it was an overall effect um i think the the there there is a strong motivational aspect to this you know when you um, if, if you've ever worked with a field organization um, when they take ownership of a goal frankly whether it's a goal they came up with or you kind of pushed on them if they really take ownership of it these are among the best people anywhere in any field to, to deliver on that goal um, and you know, I, I've actually always felt like the the best store managers are, frankly, some of the best managers. Period, mm-hmm. because they're really used to working with teams and accomplishing goals. Um, you know, I've, I've found in the various places I've worked that that the the best store managers, and I would expand that to the field management as well, they're often actually better at the the managing part. Of uh, of being a leader than a lot of the people in in the corporate office.
0: Mm, That's Um, really that's really interesting. Yeah, and were the and how you know one of the things that was coming to mind as you as you were. Talking about this was how do you create a virtuous cycle with this, right? You know, because on, on the one hand you have the store managers that are on the ground and they're, they, you know, they've assembled a plan, they're executing, and they're obviously iterating on this plan, or, or you know, or they're gaining, in, or they're gaining invaluable insight that that could benefit other stores or the or or just overall the organization. Was there how how were you all tapping into that data as well? Sort of what was being learned while these plans were being carried out? Was that data being kind of or that information being passed back to corporate somehow? And if so, you know what were the what were some examples of that in, in making it actionable for for the rest of the stores?
1: So we tried to do that in a few different ways. There was there was a, um, a once a year kind of week long hands-on meeting that we would have so um, it was most of the uh, I would say you know manager level and up people in corporate as well as the store managers and people up in the field and we would be off-site for you know certain people stayed only a couple of days and Certain people stayed for four or five days um, but there would be some you know intensive workshops uh, in that and we would we would try to mix people up when they were seated together so that we could foster that learning. Um, I would say it wasn't it wasn't rigorous enough that I would call it all data, but there was certainly a lot of um, of great information sharing and um, I remember watching uh you know, in a workshop one year we had um, we had uh, Dan Heath. Uh, who's uh, he and his brother have written a number of business books. We had Dan Heath come speak when the books, shortly after the book Switch came out, um, and Switch. And I'll give Dan Heath a and Chip, Chip Heath a, a shameless plug. I think Switch is the best book on change management ever. Um, at least they, it's the best book on change management I've ever read. Um, and anyone dealing, trying to take an organization through complex change. Uh, would do well to read this. That it really allows you to get into the topic of change management and continuous learning um, in a in a what I would call a very easily accessible manner. And we were doing a workshop on this, and um, in the middle of it, you know, we this there was there was a woman at uh, uh, you know one of the tables, and she was a loss prevention manager, and like she had created this whole idea about taking. Taking a lesson that that came out of the book, uh, and for those of you who read it, it was the example uh, with the uh, the, gu- the gloves, the work gloves, mm. um, and she applied that example into showing what is what's happening with loss prevention and theft by you know by showing it visually, not by you know putting together a spreadsheet that says, "Gosh, do you know we lost X thousands of dollars this last year." but actually putting taking that equivalent in product and putting it on a table so it really hits home. Hmm. And it was just, you know, and all of a sudden, I would guarantee you that that next week probably 50 stores did that. Because right. it, it, you see one example, you're like, "Oh, gosh, I could do that too." And then then you just see that ripple effect.
0: Um,
1: that's, that's 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 the type of thing that you see happen in store organizations. Once once um once you see one innovation happening um you start to see that same thing repeating in other places sometimes with a flavor that you know works differently for a for a different store
0: yeah, no, I love that. I think that's it it's 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 like you say, setting setting up the right the right process around it, it just sort of happens by osmosis. People people will just adopt those things and start implementing it in their in their own ways at their own stores. So I think that's I think yeah. that's great. I wanna so I wanted oh, sorry, go ahead. I
1: was just gonna say that it helps when the corporate people are, you know, rewarding it and especially I would say rewarding the effort.
0: Oh yeah. Not mm.
1: just the result.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Because um, that gives people you have to give people the permission to try and fail.
0: Absolutely. Because
1: the trying the trying will get you will get you the innovation.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And celebrate almost even celebrating failure, right? Making sure that, that people uh, are not are not penalized for for trying and not succeeding necessarily in one of these initiatives. That that lets them yeah. lets them continue to to go after it. So but no, I think that's really fascinating. And I wanted to shift gears a little bit here and just talk some more about results, right? So if we if we think about how this was impacting the customer experience, both from a qualitative standpoint and from a quantitative standpoint. Like what were the things that these initiatives were creating for the Brooks Brother customer that was coming in the store and interacting with these folks? Could you tell tell us a little bit about that?
1: Um Sure. I mean really what we wanted to do is is create um, create an environment and I'll go back to what I was talking about at the beginning. With this the company was built on relationships. And so in you know one of the you know the five questions that we measured um in our you know our relatively traditional register receipt type of surveys and online surveys is um we would measure the idea of having a real relationship with a Brooks Brothers associate um, and we found we, we found pretty early on as we were starting to get into the customer satisfaction field that you know frankly compared to the state of service in many organizations today we actually did pretty well so we couldn't mm-hmm. we couldn't use a lot of the traditional metrics because we were I don't remember the exact number, but I feel I think our NPS score was somewhere like eighty already. So, you know, we weren't dealing in the twenties or the tens and we weren't dealing in the negative like I've seen some examples uh in, in some sectors. Um so, you know, we we were really try having to teach to shoot for um you know, to shoot for top scores all the time. Um and we found that that the, the, there there was a real virtuous cycle between um, the customer impression of Brooks Brothers and the customer's ability to have a relationship with a Brooks Brothers associate and sales results. Um, and and you know just we kind of measured these things on a five point scale, and we found mm-hmm. there was not a big difference as you moved from you know a one out of five to a three out of five. But, as you moved from a three out of five to a five out of five on on um is the same I think on the on all of these metrics but but specifically on the one about having a relationship with a Brooks Brothers associate, we found that going from three out of five on that to five out of five on that correlated with a doubling of the average annual sales per customer wow um. And that's pretty substantial you know that that says yeah you you know going from poor service to okay service doesn't get you a lot yeah. But going from okay to good to great you can really win there and uh, when you get someone you know up in that you know that high spending group this is where you know this is where things like customer lifetime value come into play you know it's you're, you're gonna get the business you treat them right they're going to come back, and they will reward you with with the business. And you know, we were lucky enough that our CEO, you know, the CEO is the owner of Brooks Brothers, so he believes in that fundamentally. You know, he will stand up and say that the relationship is the most important thing. Um, that the the business results, the sales, margin, profit, that's the result of doing the right thing for the mm-hmm. customer. Uh, yeah, and it's. it's It's refreshing to work in an environment like that.
0: Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that beyond that, you know, talking about sort of the repeat business, I really like what Simon Sinek says about repeat business and loyalty, right, that it's, they're not really the same thing, repeat business and loyalty, that, that a customer will come by again, come by from you again and again, even if they don't have, even if a company doesn't have a top notch experience. But if you have the top-notch experience, you can create loyalty, which means that customers will continue to buy from you even if there's another product or service that's of more, you know, a better, superior quality or or more convenient. And I think that that's what you can achieve with these sorts of initiatives. You know that that and and it, and it really speaks to proof that the customer experience is a, a a true competitive advantage and that it's driving true business results.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree and and we we talked a lot about you know frankly you don't just want to own the wallet because you you can do a lot of things to try to own the wallet you know there there are probably all sorts of um companies that we are loyal to because we've got a financial incentive to be loyal but they don't all own our heart um and and that that was actually another thing that we that we that we would try to measure is you know we would ask them you know if money were no object, you know where would you shop mm-hmm. um you because know, we wanted to score high on that regard as well, like the that that some that sometimes those intangibles um can overcome the tangibles um they're we're we're not as as humans and individuals we're not all you know rational mm-hmm. autonomous beings um and there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of sway in our behavior, and there are a lot of opportunities for stores, brands, etc., um, uh, to make a meaningful impact in those people's lives. And when you can do that, people tend to reward you uh, with their business. You know, consumers reward yep. you with their business when when you can make a meaningful impact in their life.
0: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more, and I think that that's a great place to 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 wrap up the segment on the project. I I, I think you know it, it's 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 really phenomenal proof of what a, a a a an organizational initiative around customer experience can accomplish, and the right mindset can accomplish. So, thank you so much for sharing that, Carl. I just wanted to wrap up with a couple of more a couple more questions, uh, sort of lightning questions that we have here. Uh, so. Okay. Uh, are, you are, ready? Are, the, are the dollar values doubling in the lightning round? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so how important is the customer experience within an organization?
1: Um, so, uh, I mean, frankly, it depends on which organization you're talking about. Um, as a shopper, I would say some think it's very important and some don't. Um, I would say that the big challenge right now that brands have is getting beyond the talking and getting into the doing. Because mm-hmm. um, you know everyone will say customer experience is very important. And everyone will have the same chart that says the customer is at the center of everything we do. Right. But when you say, well, what are the 10 things you do to run your business differently because of that, that's where that that's where that kind of struggles there are you know in in retail at least there's always a Monday morning meeting um and the Monday morning meeting usually consists of looking at sales look, sorry, the Monday morning meeting usually consists of looking at sales for the past week, um looking at how products have performed in the past week um, It's rare that the Monday morning meeting says. How many customers did we get last week? You know, how many new customers did we get? How many customers did we lose last week? Um, what, what is the... We'll look at the, um, you know, a transaction size, but we won't look at how many trips a given customer made or what the total ballers per customer that we drove in the last week. Um, that, that needs to be part of the discussion.
0: Yeah, changing the conversation, changing the vocabulary. No, totally. Right. Yeah. No. And and it, and it's not that. And frankly, it's not that much different. You know, it's that the the data is not so much. It's it's just looking at it through a different lens, which I think right. is it's really interesting. And so to wrap up, our final question is: What does the future of customer experience look like to you?
1: So. um, I'll go back to a little of what I had mentioned earlier, which was, uh, uh, you know, having a recent experience at the uh, IBM World of Watson conference. And so I would say that that given where um, we're going with data and information and the ability to process and act on data and information, um, I think... I think that we're going to have. Uh, I, I think that the future is going to consist of a of many more personalized and individualized experiences, as customers know more about their customers. Uh, I'm sorry. As companies know more about their customers, as they know more about their customers' interests, as they know more about their customers' mindset, as they know what a customer is looking to do on a given you know inter during a given interaction right um, and and really frankly predicting you know predicting what the customer is actually interested in in doing or accomplishing at a given time um, hmm. and whether then that prediction comes back via you know a uh, uh, flashing something to a sales associate's I watch or influencing a chat bot to who's speaking back to a customer over text, um, you know, the, 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 the interface will evolve and change. Um, but I think the idea, the main idea is really creating what I would call bespoke interactions mm-hmm. based on um, predictions of what the customer is actually interested in at a given time you know i think it's for me it's going to be really exciting next 5 to 10 years as a lot of this stuff that's early will start to take hold
0: yeah it actually does sound very exciting from a from a customer standpoint and then very interesting uh on the in the, in terms of the opportunities that it affords from an organizational standpoint as well so um, but uh, anyways, I really thank you, Carl, for taking the time to speak with us today. That was absolutely fantastic insight, as always. Whenever we have conversations, I always come away feeling the same. So uh, we look forward to having you on the podcast again soon. And uh, we really appreciate you being here.
1: Great. Thanks so much. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun.
0: All righty. Make moves, everyone. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Movers and Shakers, the Move podcast on customer experience. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast via iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. To learn how SailMove enables companies to provide an in-person customer experience online, please visit salemove.com.